0: Brothers and sisters, we're going to be in Psalm 51 today, and as we get ready to see what the Lord has for us today, I remember reading about a story that a pastor shared about a man in his church that they had to exercise church discipline with. This man was repeatedly committing adultery on his wife, and he was very unrepentant about it. And it came to the place where the leadership of the church had no choice but to remove him from the fellowship of that body. And his response to that was, do what you have to do. I don't care. I understand what you have to do, but I have no intention of darkening the doors of this church ever again. I don't care what you do. And so they dismissed him as they were right to do, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and other places in Scripture that we could look at. His wife remained in that church, although after that meeting he went forward and legally divorced his wife. But she remained in the church. She was faithful in attending, and she surrounded herself with the body of Christ in terms of her group of of friends that she walked with, and they prayed for him for two years. And they begged God that God would do whatever God needed to do to bring this man to a place of genuine repentance. Two years later, he reached out to the pastor and said, hey, I'd like to meet with you. I need to talk. And the pastor took that meeting, and the man in that meeting told the pastor, he said, I quote, the hound of heaven had been on his trail for two years and that he couldn't take it anymore. He wanted to confess his sin. He wanted to turn from his wicked ways and he wanted to renew his marriage. This man was in the army reserves and after he divorced his wife, he was sent to Iraq And his job was to process the bodies of soldiers that died in Iraq. And he said day in and day out, the brevity of life was right in front of me and the permanency of eternity was staring me in the face. He went on to meet with the elders of the church where he confessed his sin and Asked to be forgiven for his outright arrogance and the damage he had done to the church. The discipline was lifted. He was restored back into fellowship of that church and in praise that church got to celebrate his restoration to that church body and the restoration of his marriage. It was a beautiful day. Repentance is a word that is very common in our church vernacular. We use the word a lot but what we see in this story that I just shared with you, we get a really good picture of what it looks like. We get a picture of what true repentance looks like and we're in Psalm 51 today and that's exactly what we're looking at or what we're going to begin to look at today is what does true repentance, what does it look like? And we're going to see King David paint for us a very clear portrait of that. We begin with to the chief musician a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this gives us the occasion for this psalm. David penned this after God sent Nathan the prophet to confront David about his sin With Bathsheba and his dealings with Uriah and all of that. And so, as you begin unpacking what true repentance looks like, what we see right away, right away, is that true repentance involves confession. It involves confession. And by that, let's just be very clear we're talking about full disclosure regarding what we've done. Full disclosure. True repentance involves confession. Full disclosure regarding what we've done. Verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So in this opening verse, we see right away that David, rightfully so, uh, chose the right words. Uh, His word choice is absolutely on point and very reflective of true repentance. He began by pleading for mercy. Why was he pleading for mercy? He was pleading for mercy because he knew he had committed adultery and murder. He pleaded for mercy. Those were transgressions. Meaning that David had crossed the line of God's word and had wounded others, transgressions. And under the law of Moses, that was punishable by death. David knew this. Now, this is very, very important. David appealed to God for mercy, but he did not believe that God owed that to him. He did not believe that he was entitled to receive God's mercy. David knew that he was guilty before God and David knew exactly what God would have been right to do. Now this is very critical. Mercy is God withholding from us what we rightfully deserve. David rightfully deserved death and he knew that. He knew that. But he also knew that God was and is a merciful God, and he appealed to God for his tender mercies to blot out his transgressions. David was asking God to cancel the debt that his transgressions had earned him. David was mightily indebted to God. Verse 2, wash me throughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The first mention of the word wash is found in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 4 and when you find it there, what you look at, it, it deals with the washing of someone's feet. We understood during these times that people wore sandals or they walked barefoot and so whenever they would arrive, wherever they were going, their feet were filthy. This is how David saw himself, except that it just wasn't his feet that were filthy, but his entire life. He's come face to face with what he's done and what he was capable of doing and what was actually in him. He said, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. That word iniquity, it means perversity. David says, I'm perverse. I'm morally sick, I'm morally demented, and he needed to be cleansed from that. He had grossly missed the mark on God's holiness and righteousness, and it was clear to him. Again, confession is full disclosure over what we've done. Notice the words that David is using so far. He talks about, he calls it transgressions. He's exactly right. He called it iniquity. He's exactly right. And he called it sin. It was all of those. Full disclosure. God, this is what I've done. I transgressed. I was iniquitous. I sinned. Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. What David had done, he had been concealing in the dark, but now it's in the light. It's exposed now. During those nine months or so, he he was trying to conceal it and Him and only a few others knew what had happened, and it was ever before him, but it was ever before him privately. There was no confession and true repentance. Now, I want to give you a very sobering truth, and I promise you, I don't know anything. Understand that. I don't know anything. But I do know this, the word of God is open and the Holy Spirit indwells people in this room. So I'm certain that what I'm about to say now is going to land somewhere. Listen very carefully. We are living on borrowed time with our hidden sin. We're living on borrowed time with our hidden sin. Uh, Be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. Whatever sin you are hiding, wherever you have camped out, whatever you are concealing, uh, please hear me, you're living on borrowed time. We get confident in the system or systems that uh, we establish to hide our sin, don't we? And over time, that confidence swells, doesn't it? Uh, This system that I have devised, it's airtight. No one can know. No one can find out. It's bulletproof. Yeah, I know that God is omniscient. I know that he knows, but you know what? He hasn't done anything. And so the math that we do on that is that gives us permission to what? Not repent, but continue. I've got this worked out. Even though we saw in Colossians that we are to what? Mortify, not manage. But we're managing it, aren't we? I've got this worked out. You're on borrowed time. Until Nathan confronted David, I'm almost certain this is, that's exactly how David felt. It was at least nine months, maybe longer. To your surprise, that day is sooner than you think, where your sin will find you out. Verse 4, "...against thee, the only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest." David was not being insensitive to what he had done to Bathsheba, what he had done to Uriah, what he had done to their families, what he had done to his own family, what he had done to the nation. He wasn't being insensitive about that. And he wasn't deferring. The issue was God had brought him to the place where he saw clearly from God's perspective, he saw his transgressions, he saw his iniquity, and he saw his sin. He saw it clearly. And what he saw was that those things were against God's law. And because they were against God's law, they were against God Himself. He saw that. He saw that God was grieving over that and that God was greatly displeased that it wasn't about David and it wasn't about Uriah and it wasn't about Bathsheba, it was about the fact that God's glory had been compromised, that God had been displeased, God had been disobeyed. David saw that. Spurgeon said it well, the virus of sin lies in its opposition to God. David also added another word to describe what he had done here in verse 4, and it's evil. What he had done was evil. This is very, very critical. Please. One of the signs of disingenuous repentance is an attempt to justify sin. It's one of the signs. Listen, listen. I will tell you Uh, Many of you know by now, I mean all of you definitely know, but some of you um, probably know me a little bit better than others, and that's, that's not saying much, just making a point. But you know by now I don't know everything, but there are some things I have learned. And one of the things I have learned is I have learned what true repentance looks like. I know what it looks like. I know what it sounds like, and I know what it looks like. When someone comes to the place where they are truly repentant, one of the things that you see is that there is no attempt whatsoever to justify or excuse what they've done. No excuses, no lies, no manipulation, no, well, no, 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 no. It is, (laughs) I did this, period. David did not do that here. He said in verse 4 that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. He knew that he had willingly crossed the line of God's law. He knew that. And he knew that God was justified to say whatever God was going to say and do whatever God was going to do. This is why when the child that was born out of that adulterous moment with Bathsheba, this is why David did not blame God. That's why. He knew. God, you you decide. See, this is the reality about choices. We have free will and so does God. We get to make choices and then God gets to make choices with respect to the choices that we've made. One of my one of the finest moments I've ever seen for any man. These maybe you known Little Long Island for a number of years, and praise the Lord, I got to lead a man to Christ and disciple him. and the catalyst that really that God used to bring him to faith in Christ, he had gotten arrested. he committed a very serious crime and and he sat in jail for almost two weeks, and he came out and came to church. We had been praying for him for a very long time. He was a very hard man. And he came forward one Sunday, and he and I spoke, and he met Christ, and, and I got to spend about two years with him. He's Uncle Rob to my kids. Now, whatever you think about New Yorkers, he's it. <laughs> he is a New Yorker to his heart, no doubt about it. Love him. But God used that time to get him ready uh, for what was coming. He was sentenced and he spent two years in prison. And I was in that courtroom in Manhattan that morning and the judge is saying what he's saying and he's getting ready to sentence Rob and he says, is there anything you want to say before I sentence you? And Rob stood up I don't know that I've ever been more proud of a human being as I was this moment. He stood up and he said, What I did was wrong. I deserve to be punished. And whatever you hand down is what I deserve. And he sat down. I <laughs> was heartbroken. Because I'm thinking, man, Rob's going home. Man, we're going to get probation. We're going to walk out of this courtroom. I know Rob likes his pizza. There's 10 great pizzerias near his courthouse. We're going to get a couple, couple slices and go back to Long Island. That's not what happened. The judge says, I appreciate that, but you're going to prison for two years. And that's exactly what happened. But he was exactly right. What he had done was wrong, and he deserved to be punished. That's true repentance. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, we need to level the playing field here for everybody in the room, everybody listening. Because subtly, what we can do with this psalm is we can reduce it down to, oh, this is the psalm that really talks about and shows the ugliness of the lust that lurks in the hearts of men. So some of us can excuse ourselves as, oh, he's really talking to the men this morning. I'm actually not talking to everybody. Because what he said in verse 5 is true of all of us, is it not? We were all shapen in iniquity, correct? Weren't we all conceived in sin, correct? Please hear this. We are all capable of writing Psalm 51 in the chapter of the book of our life. I don't care who you are or who you think you are. In the flesh, you are capable of producing a Psalm 51 chapter in your life. You have the carnal propensity to do this. And listen, let me warn you. You are walking on dangerous ground whenever you get to the place in your life where you think you are incapable of doing anything. I could never. Yes, you could. How could they do that? That's despicable. It is, but you could do it too. Because you were shaped in the very thing that they were shaped in, and you were conceived in the very thing that they were conceived in, sin. Be careful. We should also know that fornication, adultery, and yes, even pornography is not exclusive to men. Far from it. Over the years, I've seen God pull the curtains back to expose women in the church walking and living in these very things. Women who have left their husbands because they met some bum in a chat room, and now they're moving to Nevada. It happens in churches like this. I have seen it. David placed all of his cards on the table with God And what got David into this situation to begin with was placing his desires over what God desired. That's what got him here. But when someone genuinely repents, that is reversed. Now, it's not about what I desire, it's about what God desires. Look at verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God desires truth in the inward parts. For nearly a year, David had been living a lie. He was not true before God. He was not true before his family. He was not true before the nation. He was living a lie. And God desired David to know wisdom. That is, what David had done was foolish. I want you to see it that way. What you've done is foolish. And one of the things that people do when they commit adultery is they expose how foolish they are. They're foolish. What they're saying is, is, well, God really did not mean what he said when he said, thou shalt not commit it. I mean, I, I marvel. I've seen this movie a few times now. I do marvel. I do marvel that believers who sit in rooms like this and hear messages like this can somehow and will somehow walk away and still cross the line of adultery And it's crazy to me that they think that it can actually work. So wait a minute. Something that was rooted and started, something that began in sin, is going to somehow work out? Really? How could you ever trust that person? That person who left someone to be with you, you're you're going to be able to trust them? Do the math. It's a foolish thought at best, but David did it because, at the time, clearly he did not know wisdom. If you're wise, you'll never move in that direction. Let me be very careful here. I mean that, and you and you need to listen very carefully. Okay, but let me talk to everybody, but especially my brothers. Um, the guy that you're listening to right now is as weak as you are. <laughs> the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Yep, amen, that's me. I am weak, okay? I, I, I sin, I struggle, I fall short, I, all that. I'm, I'm with you, I get it. Um, but over the years, I've, I've, I've been blessed to watch some of these adultery train wrecks. And they are train wrecks. I've seen them. I've seen the damage that they cause. I've seen what it does to families, what it does to churches. I've seen it. And brothers, please hear me. I am not batting a thousand when it comes to lustful things. I'm flush, sorry, okay? I'm not. But I know God heard me. I know that God heard me. And it is never far from my mind But I prayed to God one day in a very sober way from my heart that God, take my life before I could ever physically cross the line and commit adultery against you and my wife. I am certain that God did not lose his hearing in that moment. And I am certain that he took me very seriously. So... Not if, but when I have been, when I am, and when I will be tempted. uh, Sweetheart, pardon my grammar, you ain't worth that. (laughs) You ain't worth that. I do not believe that God would physically allow me to cross the line. I do believe that God would take my life. You know why I prayed that? That would be better than me ever having to look her in the face. Now, I wish to God I could look her in the face and say, I've never crossed a line with my eyes or my mind or my heart. I wish I I can't do that. I doubt any man in this room can. But God forbid that I would ever look her in the face. God forbid that I would ever have to walk into Sam Miles' office. That would shred Sam's heart and confess that. God forbid I would ever have to look my children in the face. God forbid I would ever have to stand before all of you. Yeah, death would be better. It would be a gift. So, I'm weak. Once again, part of my grammar, but I ain't stupid. <laughs> so as I've learned years ago, one big decision settles a lot of little decisions. So physical adultery, not an option for this guy. Does that make sense? Brothers, I'm not saying that's what you need to do. I'm just telling you that's what I thought I needed to do. Okay, next, true repentance involves contrition. This is penitence. And penitence is a synonym of repentance. And it has in view someone who is genuinely grieving over the lines that they've crossed. But here's what is also very critical about this. Contrition also is, I'm sorry, contrition is always followed by a genuine desire for a change of life. This is what I'm saying. True repentance, you can't miss it. When someone is truly repentant, you cannot miss what follows. There is a genuine desire for a change of life. Listen, true repentance, true repentance is never followed by carnal business as usual. In other words, if we're truly repenting, there's a change. We say this all the time about salvation, right? right we talk about the 180, and that's, that's exactly right. Well, that principle carries with the believer. When the believer is truly repenting of what they've done before God, there is a desire to change. I'm not going to keep thinking this way. I'm not going to keep speaking this way. I'm not going to keep behaving this way. They're contrite. And David's contrition is seen in the desires of his supplications. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a plant that could be used like a brush. It was also used to apply the blood to the doorposts during Passover. It was also used in the ceremony of cleansing the leper. Lepers were, as we know, they were deemed ceremoniously unclean, and they could not gather with the body, so to speak, or the community of believers. They had to be excluded from that. And before they could rejoin, they had to go to the priests and had to show themselves clean and they had to go through a process of eight days. So serious. David likened his state to that. And here's the thing he was willing to do whatever he needed to do in order to get clean. This is what I'm saying. When you're talking about true repentance, the excuses go out the door, they do. There is no talk back. There is no arguing with God. There's no negotiating. It's, listen, I blew it. I crossed the line. I grieved you. So God, whatever you say, whatever you do is what I will do. That's it. So here we go. True repentance is accompanied by a desire to be clean at whatever cost. Whatever you you tell me I need to do, God, I'll do it. I will obey you. I will comply. Verse 8 and 12. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. If there were two things that had been missing in David's life for the last nine to 12 months, it was you just read them joy and gladness. They were gone. David was not enjoying life. And listen, neither is the believer who is living a double life. If you're living a double life, if you're playing at this, if you are fancying yourself to be something today and then when you walk out of here you live a completely different life, I promise you, you're absolutely miserable if you really belong to God. If you really belong to God. Listen, anyone that can lead a double life, so to speak, And not feel the immense pressure and conviction from the Spirit of God, at a minimum, needs to examine if they're truly saved. No believer, no true believer, can live this kind of life. David was miserable. Now, this is important. David did not ask God to restore his salvation. He asked God to restore the joy of his salvation. That's important for where we're going to be going next, or not next week, week after that. By the way, uh, we're going to take a little vacation this week, uh, so I won't be here next Sunday, um, but life will be here. By the way, while we're here, let me just, let me just make a quick detour, and then we're going to get right back on the interstate of Psalm 51, okay? Can I just implore you, and again, I I don't have anybody in mind, nothing like that, but I I really hope that who's ever teaching is not a deal breaker for you in Life Fellowship. right? I hope you know by now that I have never been, I am not, and I never will be interested in building or leading anything where it's all about me. Where if I'm not here, if I'm not teaching, then we can't forget about that. No, if God has you in life fellowship be in life fellowship (laughs) be in life fellowship for the glory of God be in life fellowship for the fellowship of life fellowship and trust that whoever God puts up here is what we need from the Lord amen okay so I won't be here next week I believe Mark Rhodes is up right I believe yep so you're actually in for a double treat the guy can sing and preach he can sing he can play he can preach What am I doing up here? (laughs) Does that make sense? Now, when David talked about his bones being broken, I believe that was figurative. Now, understand this. While his bones may not have been broken, David was a broken man. He was. And he wanted life, joy, and gladness back. And he asked God to uphold him with his free spirit. David had fallen very low, and because he was truly repentant, he had come to the place where he's like, God, I never want to fall like that again. I never want to fall that low again. I never want to commit that type of transgression. Again, we got to be so careful because while I do believe that David in this moment was truly repentant, when you look at the totality of his life, he was actually just getting warmed up. Because he's going to have a failure later, we read about in 2 Samuel, that it's hard to even read. But for now, he was a genuinely broken and contrite man. Um... David came to realize something that God has taught me over the years, and I think it's very critical. If we can get this. The pleasure is never worth the price, is it? The pleasure is never worth the price. I guarantee you, If David could have gone back on that day on the roof, he would have given his right arm and his right leg to do so, to have that moment back. And I promise you, he would have made a different decision. The pleasure is never worth the price the price is always far more expensive, isn't it? God, I had no idea this moment of pleasure was going to cost me this much. And praise God, God was merciful. God, he's loving, kind, and all of that, but that doesn't always lift the consequences, does it? I've seen people go out and make awful, horrific, terrible decisions. And they throw themselves on the mercy and grace of God's court. And they do find it. But they aren't guaranteed a new liver, are they? They don't get a new brain, do they? The damage that they have inflicted on their body and the circumstances they've created in life, they don't just dissipate, do they? God says, I'll give you grace and wisdom to deal with all of that, but it's not going away. Jacob walked with a limp, did he not? the rest of his life, just so you remember. Verse 9, we'll wrap up here. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. He prayed earlier to have his transgressions blotted out. Here, he specified that he did not want God to see his sins and iniquities. And because his sin had been brought into the light, David had become very cognizant of God's holiness and how far he had missed the mark with his perverseness. And the thought of God seeing it was very uncomfortable. Have you been there where you didn't want someone to see something that was really dirty and ugly and awful about you? Hey, look, look away, and I want you to see this. Have you been there? I have. You know, it's like when we invite people into our homes, what do we do? Well, we prepare for the areas that we know they're going to be in, correct? (laughs) All right? I want to make sure we're not the only ones who do that, (laughs) Okay, That's what we do. So let me ask you, hypothetically, let's say you invited me to your home for dinner. And if you do, I'll come. Hint, hint. <laughs> I'll come. We'll come. But I walk into your house and I don't just stop at your living room. I don't just stop at your dining room. I start walking all over your basement. I go into your garage. I, I go into your bedroom. I take out your hamper and dump out your dirty clothes. And, and I start going through your bills, your credit card statements, and your medical records. And Anybody want to sign up for that? Uh, one thing that's not going to happen is I won't be invited back. Right? So, yeah, this is the first and the last. As a matter of fact, where did Life Fellowship goes, Is everybody here? <laughs> it's like, man, get out of that class. <laughs> okay. Well, for starters, that's inappropriate. But next, there are just some things that we don't want people to see, right? Is that fair? Is that honest? It is. David's heart here was, God, I don't want this before you. It's dark, it's ugly, and look away. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, so everything is fully exposed. But listen, some of us, I know this to be true, some of us right now, you've got something in your life and your spouse doesn't know it, I don't know it. Your kids don't know it. Sam doesn't know about it. Your neighbors don't know about it. The people in your small group don't know about it. But there's something you are concealing. It's dark, it's ugly, it's grieving the Spirit of God, but it is completely bare before God. And you remain convinced you've got time. You've got time. What I'm telling you is God is calling you to deal with it before he has to. God is saying deal with it before you before he has to. And the time that you think you have, I promise you, it will expire. When David was confronted by Nathan, and Nathan said to him, Thou art the man. Time was up. Time was up. Listen, today might be the last warning that God is giving you to truly repent. Lord, this is a sober message for me. The examination um, that you have brought me through in preparing this um, has been needful, piercing, and I just want to say before you, I have heard you, and I am hearing you. And Lord, whatever it is that you have revealed to the listeners, God, I beg that they won't tune you out. whatever is in our lives that is grievous to you, let us deal with it today. In Jesus' name, amen.